Truth Jihad Radio is 100% crowdfunded and therefore fearless and independent. Please help us stay that way. You can subscribe at my Substack. That's kevinbarrett.substack.com. Or you could send a one-time PayPal donation to truthjihad at gmail.com. Welcome back to the second hour of tonight's live Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, broadcasting live every Friday evening here on Revolution.Radio, a leading free speech network, maybe the leading free speech network. So please help them out at Revolution.Radio and subscribe to me at KevinBarrett.Substack.com. Okay, we're going now to the other side of the world, that is to Australia, which is pretty much the direct other side of the world from where I sit here in the middle of the wilderness of North America, to talk to Jafar Ramini. He's a Palestinian writer and political analyst, and he is a Nakba survivor. Now, everybody knows about the Holocaust survivors, right? We get thousands of movies about them. We have museums in every town, city, hamlet, and burg celebrating their story. We hear about nothing but the Holy Holocaust. We don't hear much about the Palestinian Holocaust, which is the Nakba. It occurred in 1948, and Jafar Ramini survived it. He was five years old when his family uh, fled Palestine ahead of the massacres being committed by the Zionist militias. He lived most of his life in London. He's now in Perth, Western Australia, and he will be 80 years old tomorrow. And he will continue to strive for the for justice for the people of Palestine. So, hey, it's an honor to welcome Jafar Ramini. How are you, Jafar? Good morning and evening to you, where you are. And thank you very much for hosting me. Very kind of you. I am fine. Thank you. Well, yeah, thank you for coming on, and it's a real honor. And, you know, we just observed the 71st, 75th anniversary of the Nakba, and it got a lot of attention. Um, we saw a kerfluffle at the United Nations. Uh, we saw... Uh, some Zionist panic about the, uh, the the fact that this was in the news. We saw ma- relatively mainstream groups and press actually covering this a little bit. We saw even some Jewish organizations um, saying the right things about the Nakba and the need for Jewish people <laughs> and for Israel to recognize it. You'd almost think we're making progress, and then you look at what's actually going on in occupied Palestine, and you'd say, well, maybe not. So, so Jaffer, I, I don't know, maybe we could just start. You could introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your your history and, you know, how how you have lived your life as a Palestinian uh, exile, you know, so somebody who's been targeted by this pa- genocide against Palestine. Uh, thank you very much, Kevin. Yes, I, I was born in the, in the city of Jenin. 1943, May, 21st of May, 1943. And as you just said, tomorrow I'll be 80. Uh, so I'm five years older than the so-called State of Israel. Um, just to give a perspective of what happened to us, um, in 1947-48, the Zionist militia started to... Uh, um, the, what they call the Dalit doctrine, which meant the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. They committed few, a few massacres. They demolished over 550 uh, towns and villages. 
And of course, the news of these massacres spread through Palestine like wildfire. And people, I want your listeners to, to understand this, we were not army, we were not armed, we were not trained, we were just ordinary people, teachers, doctors, lawyers, far, pharmacists, farmers, laborers, uh, and we are civilians. And the most infamous of those uh, massacres was the Der Yassin massacre in, in the 9th of April 1948. Uh, Der Yassin, for, for the benefit of your listeners, there in Arabic means monastery. And it is a sleepy little village in the outskirts of Jerusalem, whereby the uh, forces of the Ergun uh, uh, militia happened at this village during the night and killed everybody inside. And the next morning, the survivors, they marched them into Jerusalem, lined them against the wall, and shot them dead. Uh, and you mentioned the Holocaust. The Yash Vadim is, is now where Der Yassin was. So the news of these massacres uh, filtered through the, the northern of Palestine, Upper Galilee, and it reached us. So we woke up one morning and Jenin was flooded by tens of thousands of refugees from all uh, the villages around Jenin. At that time, the conurbation of Jenin was 85 villages and, and uh, Israel destroyed or occupied 27 of them. So we became 58. And we woke up in the morning. We've never seen an aircraft before. There were aircrafts flying over Jenin, dropping leaflets like confetti, leave or die. And we had to flee. We fled, and I remember it vividly, as if it were yesterday. Uh, I was carried on the shoulders of my elder, my late elder brother, Mustafa, and we trekked through the hills and the mountains during the night, followed by uh, tanks and, and, and buzzing air, uh, airplanes and mortar uh, bombs, and you name it. Uh, and we had to hide in caves in the mountains to, 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 to save ourselves. And my namesake, a boy who called Jafar Sayah, was sitting next to me in the, in the cave, and the bullet went through his head. This boy miraculously survived. Tens of thousands didn't. So uh, after the so-called 1948 War of Independence, Jenin was saved, and, and we came back to, to our house. Uh, and to be usurped by Jordan, of course. Uh, and that's where the, the, the new phrase, the West Bank, was created to accommodate uh, King Abdullah I of Jordan. Uh, and I stayed in Jenin. I finished my secondary education. Uh, and it was intolerable to live there, seeing the kibbutz glimmering lights uh, just five kilometers from my house in Jenin. Uh, so in 1962, at the age of 19, I left. Like most Palestinians who could, I went to Kuwait. And I stayed in Kuwait for 18 months. I couldn't bear it. Uh, then I went to Saudi Arabia for my sins. And I was in Riyadh when uh, King Faisal uh, took the place of his brother, King Saud. And then in 1968, I decided enough is enough. 
after the Six Day War, and I saw with my own eyes the Israeli uh, fighter jets flying over the Red Sea to hit Egypt, and the Saudis' anti-aircraft uh, uh, guns were silent. So I said, that's it. We are sold out. And I went to London, and the rest is history. I lived in London for 53 years, and as you said in your introduction, I've been here two years. Okay, that's uh, quite a story, and it's the the Nakba is so you know such a, a strong and you know horrific kind of experience. You you know we hear the you know, the descriptions of the people. Uh, facing the massacres, hearing about the massacres, being terrorized and bombed and leaflets, like you say, saying leave or die, and being strafed and shot as they flee. It's actually the kind of story that you would almost think that Hollywood would make a lot of movies about, but for whatever reason, they don't. And this awareness of, of the Nakba <laughs> has only been gradually increasing, uh, so why why do you think it is that this formative moment in the history of Palestine, which was obviously a, you know, the most intense moment of this process of genocide that's been happening, has been really uh, so downplayed on, in, the, in the world's consciousness? Uh, Kevin, my new friend, you are a very brave man uh, to to to, uh, to use words like Palestinian genocide and Palestinian Nakba and Palestinian uh, Holocaust. It's very brave, especially where you are. Uh, Voltaire once said, "If you want to find who rules over you, look around and see who you can't uh, criticize." To listen to the full one-hour interview, become a paid subscriber at kevinbarrett.substack.com.